Good morning. morning. Thanks, Matthew. Um, If I haven't met you before, my name is Michael Rhodes. I get the privilege of being one of the pastors at Veritas, and it is just sweet to be with you guys this morning. Uh, If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you afterwards, so I'll be sticking around down here up front afterwards and really would uh, love to, yeah, get to know you a little bit. Um, If you've got a Bible, turn with me to James chapter 3. Like Matthew said, we're just going to keep moving forward in James. Um, if you missed last week, we talked about taming the tongue. We'll come back to that a little bit later. Um, but how many of you, well, I don't even want to ask this question because nobody's going to answer it with yes. Um, so nobody starts off life thinking, I want my life to be chaotic and evil, right? Like now you're like, oh, now I know why you want, didn't ask that question, right? No, nobody starts that way, right? Like nobody's holding their like little newborn baby boy, like, man, I can't wait. I can't wait for your life just to be chaotic and out of order, right? Like nobody's doing that. Like you don't hold your little baby girl and say like, oh, I can't wait until you're like just evil and wicked and vile all the time, right? Like now we know like, they're little sinners, right? They're, they become, like, that's their nature, right? But nobody starts out life thinking, I'm going to end up in a terrible place, right? Nobody does that. Nobody says, like, oh, I can't wait to go to prison because of my greed. I can't wait to just be completely in over my head in debt because I was looking at what everybody else had and I wanted what everybody else had. And I couldn't practice contentment, but that's where I ended up. Like nobody starts that way. Nobody says, man, I can't wait to have an affair and wreck my family. Nobody begins in that place. Nobody begins to think, I can't wait to be a self-centered jerk and make everybody else around me miserable. I can't wait to be a ball of anxiety and anger because my family's pace of life is fully out of control. Nobody starts that way, but why is it that a lot of people end that way? Or maybe not just end that way, but the middle of their life becomes that way. Like, How do you avoid ending up in that spot? And we can think like, oh, I know people that have done that, but are you okay with the trajectory of your life this morning? Like, is the trajectory that you're on trending toward godliness? Or is it trending toward, like, chaos and evil? Some of you are like, I can't see evil in my future, right? But maybe the trend is like, oh, I'm not content. I'm hurting. That's lead to these addictions or these addictions or these things. And then you're like, how did my life end up in this spot? If that's not where people want to end up, how do you avoid that kind of chaos in your life? How do you avoid a chaotic and wicked life? That's what we're going to look at this morning in James chapter 3. So again, if you're sitting there going, that's not me, hang on. Because for all of us in this room, it could be. Including myself. It absolutely could be. So how do we avoid getting there? All right, let's look. James chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 13 this morning. It says this. <clears throat> Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show 
his works in the meekness of wisdom. So James is saying, hey, if you're looking for a wise and understanding person, what should you look for? And remember, if you go back, it's not going to be on the screen, but in James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So in this chapter, James is saying, hey, let's talk about the people who influence us, the people who teach us, the people whose life that we want to attach to and follow. And last week, if you listened online, what you heard was, hey, if you're going to look for a certain teacher, you got to look for a teacher who uses their words properly. But now he's going to take it a step further this week because he says, like, who's wise and understanding among you? Now, the word wise there, the technical idea was for the Jews, and they were looking for who is like the scribe or the rabbi or the teacher that they were going to attach to and follow. Remember, Jesus calls his early disciples and he says, follow me. That was kind of a Jewish practice. Like, hey, attach yourself to this teacher that you want to be like, that you want to be influenced by, and you follow his way of life. And when This group of people that James is writing to, here's that word wise, used in this way. They're like, oh, he's talking about people that we can attach our lives to. So if you're looking for that, what should you be looking for? Last week, you should be looking for somebody who has tamed their tongue because the gospel has got a hold of their heart. But now he takes it a step further. Now, we need to know what we're talking about when it comes to wisdom here. Because wisdom, we have a lot of thoughts in our minds about what wisdom could be. Now, James has already addressed this in chapter 1. But this was the kind of the definition that we gave about wisdom in chapter 1. That wisdom is understanding how to practically use truth in life. Understanding how to practically use truth in life. It's not just that you know something. It's not that you just have intelligence, that you're just smart. Wisdom is, I know how to actually put that into practice. Sometimes when we think about wisdom, we may think of it this way. This illustration may help. If you go to a really busy airport, so if you go to O'Hare Airport, and you're there, and you're just standing, and you're looking out the window, and you see planes, they just seem like they're coming from everywhere, there's people all on the ground, the planes are taxiing all over tons of runways you're like how do excuse me how do they do that <clears throat> how do they pull this off now if you were able i have a guy in my connection group that's an air traffic controller now if i could go up into his tower and i could be like oh now this makes a little more sense right it makes a little bit more sense how you guys are directing this thing that's still not wisdom Because we think of wisdom as like, oh, you have a new perspective and you can look down and now you have all this knowledge of where these planes are coming from and all this information. But I don't want us to think about wisdom from like, oh, I don't have a clue being inside the airport. Now I have understanding being in the tower. Wisdom is more like driving a car. Wisdom is more like driving a car where you have to make appropriate responses as things happen. You have to know when to slow down. You need to know your distance and the decisions that you're making. But when you're driving a car, now some of you, you may be like this, but not many of you are driving a car thinking like a mechanical engineer. How is this 
engine working right now, as I'm driving down an interstate in snow, some of you are like, some of you are elbowing your husbands right now who are like very engineer minded, right? You're like, oh yeah, you do that, right? But you're not thinking about all those things or the civil engineer who put this lane right here and this, like you're not thinking about all that stuff. You're thinking about, oh, how do I drive? And when this car pulls out, I need to slow down or I need to speed up. You're thinking about, Oh, I'm going to take what I know and actually appropriately respond. That's what we're talking about when we talk about wisdom. Good driving is seeing what's around you and making appropriate responses. If you're looking for a wise teacher, I'm going to take it beyond a wise teacher. Because we're all teachers in some way. A kid's following you. A grandkid's following you. Somebody at your work's looking at you. We're all influential. So what does it look like for us to be wise and understanding people? Is it your intelligence? No. It's not just the claims that you have, your reading list, advanced degrees, or even that you're just like older in years. Wise people aren't necessarily old, smart, well-read, and educated. You can have an unwise older person and an unwise smart person. So how do we know that? Look what James says back in verse 13. Who is wise among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So he says, how do you know you're wise? Look at your conduct. Look the way you behave. Look at your way of life. Now, this is not the first instance that he said to. He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works of wisdom. This is not the first time that James has used this word show. In fact, in James chapter 2, verse 18, this is what James said. But someone will say, <coughs> sorry, I got, a, I got sick right on Christmas Eve, and the cough has not gone away at all, so I apologize. It says this, but someone will say, <coughs> you have faith and I have works. What's that next word? Show. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So what he's trying to get across in chapter 2 is, hey, if you say like, oh, I do a bunch of godly stuff, or I've got works in my life, he's like, you think like you can just have faith and do what you want. You can't operate that way. That's not how following Jesus works. You have faith and it affects your works. It affects how you live your life. So in chapter 2, he's connecting our works to our faith. Now in chapter 3... He's connecting wisdom and our conduct to that, to our faith. So if we went back through James, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but just recap it. That your behavior in life is connected to your faith, and your faith is connected to your wisdom. Your faith works itself out, chapter 1, in how you handle trials. Your faith works itself out in your obedience to the word, that you're not just a hearer, but you do it. Your faith works itself out in how you treat others. And then last week, your faith works itself out in how you speak. So there's a connection between your faith and how you live your life. And James is doubling down on that here in verse 13. Now your conduct is connected to wisdom and it's connected to your faith. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, Paul says it this way. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So you're supposed to pay attention To the way that you live your life. Making the best use of your time because the days are evil. So, what James is saying. You can walk and you can live and you can use your time in wise and unwise ways. you got to look carefully at how you're doing it. 
If you're looking for influential people in your life, if you're looking to be an influential person, what do you need to pay attention to? How you're living your life. How are you spending your time? But it's so much more than just good time management. Look back at verse 13. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. He's saying your conduct must be done in the meekness of wisdom. That idea of meekness there is closely related to humility. Closely related to humility. Now, this is not the first time James has mentioned this word meekness. He talked about meekness in chapter 1, the meekness in how you hear the word. Now he's saying, like, you need to have meekness in how you live your life. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Wisdom is seen in a humble way of living, guys. The wise do good works in a way that brings honor and attention to the Lord, not honor and attention to themselves. So church, let me ask you, who are the people teaching you? Who are the people influencing you? Does their conduct match what they're saying? Some of you are like, sure. Why don't you think about some of those people that you follow on social media? Some of those people, you're like, oh, they have all the stuff that I would love, and it looks like they're really successful, and maybe if we could dig behind the curtain, we might find out that they're in debt out of their minds. You're like, but they have a lot, and they're miserable. Or what if it's somebody that you follow that loves, like, man, they give such great, good relationship advice, and then before long, you find out they're going through a divorce. Like, their wisdom, their conduct doesn't match what we think is wisdom. Or maybe you're finding people like, oh, they quote Bible verses, and they're so great at quoting Bible verses, but there's no obedience in their life. Like, who are we following? Who are we watching after? In James chapter 1, James would say that's a double-minded person, a double-souled person, a wavering person, an inconsistent way of life who says, I want the wisdom of God, but I want to live the way that I want to live. So where does this inconsistency come from? Let's look at verses 14 through 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So what James is doing here is he's about to begin this contrast. And this is, we want to be good Bible people here. If you're studying your Bible, look for contrast in Scripture. He's going to contrast wisdom from above and this earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. So first he says he's going to address this wisdom that doesn't come from above. It doesn't come from heaven. It doesn't come from God. But it contains something really special, or not not special at all, really specific. He says, if you're going to have the wisdom that doesn't come from above, your heart is going to contain two things. Your heart's going to contain bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And this is where James is connecting what we talked about last week to what we're talking about this week. Remember the tongue springs forth from something out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he's connecting it back to the source here. There's a source that makes you speak a certain way. There's a source that makes you act a certain way. 
That's what he's getting at here. And he says, the first thing that your heart contains, if you're not getting the wisdom from above, is bitter jealousy. You're envious, and there's this contentious rivalry in your life. You want what others have that you don't have. You want what God has that you can't have. Maybe. You want to be the center of your own universe. And then you become bitter and you become resentful of others. You become resentful of the things that they have. And it may be material things, it may be power, influence, significance, recognition. And then you start to, that bitterness builds up into this root of hate in your life. And you're like, I don't like them anymore because of what they have. And you want it so bad. So you hate it. And then before long, you end up going after them and taking those people down because you wanted something so bad. He goes, if that's how you're going to operate, you need to know that is not wisdom that's coming from above. That's bitter jealousy. Because we end up thinking that we are our highest end in life. Oh, this world was centered around me. And God's going, no, 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 no. It never was about you. In the beginning, God. Like before creation, it was God. And he says, so if your heart contains bitter jealousy, you're getting wisdom from somewhere else other than God. If your heart also contains selfish ambition, you're getting Wisdom from somewhere else other than God. This idea of wisdom is pushing forward our own agenda. Now, the key here is selfish ambition. There's nothing wrong with ambition in life. Sometimes as Christians, we go like, oh, you shouldn't even have ambition. It should be all about God. It's, yes, it should be all about God. And you can have ambitions in your life. But what James is getting at here is like, you shouldn't have selfish ambition. Uh, ambition is centered around what you desire in life. But it should be about what God desiring life and we think that our lives we're the center of the universe and we're going to fulfill our desires because our uppermost calling in life is to please ourselves guys that is not wisdom from above because he goes on to say like oh these motivations that demonstrate this lack of godly wisdom is not simply a lack of wisdom though it's actually much worse you're not just lacking some wisdom. It's actually far worse than that. Look back to this. It says, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. There is a way of living that's marked by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition that isn't simply lacking wisdom. It's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. Now, that's one of those words like, whoa, what are we talking about this morning, all right? We're talking about a way of life that doesn't line up with God's wisdom. And God says, there's no neutral wisdom. It is God's wisdom or it's demonic wisdom. It's wisdom that doesn't come from God. And first he says it's earthly. That we're not considering God with this wisdom. We're not considering his word, we're not considering his rule, we're not considering his will, and it's not rooted in the Lord. Many of you know this passage in Proverbs 1-7, it says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Like, where does wisdom begin? It begins at the Lord, the fear of the Lord. 
But this idea of earthly means natural, not from the Spirit of God. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So the natural earthly person, they don't accept what the Spirit of God is saying to them. For they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He goes, this earthly, natural wisdom, it's not spiritual. It's not from the Spirit of God. And then he goes on to use that really hard phrase, it's demonic. It's demonic. This is the only time in actually the New Testament that this specific word is used. And it's mean, it means devilish or demon-like. That people buy in to teachings and wisdom from demons. You're like, oh, this got real, real quick, right? Like, ah, I don't know what we're going to talk about this morning. Paul warns his young disciple, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4.1, he says this. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, times as Jesus' return draws near, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching, teachings of what? Demons. Paul's warning, hey, Timothy, when you go plant churches, what you need to realize is that some people are going to abandon the faith and they're going to run after the teachings of demons. Like, I'm not going to end up in that spot. Like, I'm not going there, am I? But what is he relating to demonic wisdom? Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, we've been in this for a long time in our world. Like, this is the life of Satan. In Ezekiel chapter 28, there's a prophecy about a king. And this king of a place named Tyre. And he's talking about the spiritual wisdom or the, the, the spiritual forces behind this king. And it's actually a Talking about Satan as well. And this is what Ezekiel 28, 17 says. Your heart, so talking about Satan. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. So what is he saying? Satan. Remember Satan? This angel fallen angel and where did it all begin because his heart was proud selfish ambition and that corrupted his wisdom for the sake of his own splendor selfish ambition bitter jealousy i want to be like god but i'm not that's what satan did and then in Jude 1.6, it says this, And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So Satan, he wanted the power, and he fell from heaven. The demons, what did it say? They did not stay within their own position of authority. They wanted to be like God. They had selfish ambition, and God says, this is not going to work. I'm the only God. I'm the one true God. So if you're going to operate like this, this is not going to work. But how often in our lives are we operating wanting authority and wanting power? 
You're like, I'm not going to operate like Satan. Church, is there any bitter jealousy in your heart this morning? Is there any selfish ambition in your heart this morning? Because James is saying, it's not just neutral wisdom that you're giving into. We're talking about wisdom that's like Satan, that's like the demons. And this is exactly what Adam and Eve experienced in Genesis 3, right? Hey, Eve, if you just take the fruit and eat of it, you can be like God. The same thing. Selfish ambition. I'm jealous of what God has. I'm going to go after what I want in life, not what God wants in life. It's the same thing. This is what Satan does. He doesn't just, like, I think Matthew said it the other day in our teacher's meeting. Satan doesn't attack you with a pitchfork. Like, that's what we think. Like, oh, here comes Satan with his pitchfork. Let me watch out and guard against that. Like, Satan's not coming after you that way. He's coming after you with slick lies and temptations to embrace worldly wisdom that's rooted in selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. And we go, oh, it's not that bad, is it? Didn't go well for Satan. Didn't go well for the demons. Didn't go well for this king in the past. Satan wants to lie to you and say, you're your highest priority in life. This is about you. You want what you want. Guys, this caused Satan to fall from heaven. This caused Adam and Eve to be cast out of the garden. How many Christians are living with this kind of earthly worldview? Just this past week, we were in teacher's meeting. We're talking about this text. And as we're talking about it with other people on staff... One of our other guys, pastors, said, you know what? I was listening last week to the radio, and they were like, hey, we're going to give you our thought for the day. And the thought for the day was, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. And some of you are going, yeah, that sounds great. Guys, that's nowhere in Scripture. Like, what does it say about our hearts? They're wicked and deceitful. We can't follow our own hearts. They're going to give birth to our own desires. And our own desires aren't aligned with God's desires. Now here's the problem. He heard it on Christian radio station. Just follow your heart. On Christian radio. That we're all listening to. And it's not from God. But that's the kind of wisdom that we're finding ourselves listening to and taking in. And James is saying, watch out, watch out. Like nobody in this room this morning, I said like, how many of you want demonic wisdom in your life? Like, please don't raise your hand. That's a terrible thing to raise your hand about, right? Like, how many of you want unspiritual wisdom in your life? Nobody's going to raise their hand. How many of you want earthly wisdom in your life? I don't think anybody's going to raise their hand. But I think a lot of demonic wisdom is baptized in Christian language. Just follow your heart. Well, God cares about our hearts. Yeah. And God cares about a regenerated heart from through the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want you just to be happy in this life. Because we think this life is all that matters and we're just going to invest just in this life. 
and the things that make us happy. And we've made life about us and our selfish ambitions and not about him. Well, if it feels right, it must be right. That is a lie. That is demonic wisdom that we're believing. Well, God made me this way. He gave me these feelings. And if I feel this, it must be right. What? That's a lie. But we just baptize earthly demonic wisdom in Christian language. Guys, Satan is going to tempt you subtly with slick lies. Tempts you to embrace phrases and words and ideas that sound and look biblical, but are actually opposed to the Bible. He wants you to follow your deceitful heart. He wants you to do what feels right. He wants you to reject God's authority and God's word and exalt yourself. And this is earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom. So while nobody's sitting here this morning saying, I want demonic wisdom, are there any areas of your life where you're rooted in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? That's a great thing for you to think about as you go home today. You're just like, oh, I don't want demonic wisdom, but it's rooted in the same thing. Now, by God's grace, my hope is that you confess and you repent of that this morning. But we're not just going to leave it like, oh, this is heavy, right? There's, there's good news. Good news. But it actually tells you where this is going to lead you before you get to the good news. Go back to verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. There will be disorder. Now, we use this in other parts of the New Testament, and that word disorder is confusion or chaos. So James is saying like, hey, if you want this kind of wisdom, your life is going to end up being in chaos. Out of order. Out of order. And in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is addressing this kind of messed up church in Corinth. And it's a church that has like taken the spiritual gifts and elevated them to make the spiritual gifts about themselves. And so people are coming into their gatherings like this and people are just speaking out of order. They're speaking like crazy language that nobody's interpreting and it's just chaos. And then this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God is not a God of confusion, and it's that same word that James is using for disorder. Like a life of confusion and disorder is not a life that lines up with God. Selfish ambition and jealousy lead to a chaotic life. Is there anything in your life that just feels like chaos right now? Maybe there's a deeper rooted issue that you need to address this morning. But it's not that just jealousy and selfish ambition lead to confusion and disorder. It's actually what leads to what James says is every vile practice. Everything that's ethically wicked and bad comes from this. Nobody is going to start their wedding day 
Like, oh, it's a great day. We're going to get married today. And you know what I can't wait for? I can't wait that down the road, after we're married, I'm going to look at somebody else and think, man, they're really attractive. And you know what I hope happens? I hope that I have an affair with that person. And that it ruins our family's lives and just messes everything up. Like Nobody's going to do that, right? Nobody is going to end up doing that. But guys, that's what bitter jealousy and selfish ambition can lead to. Nobody starts that way, but this is where this wisdom that doesn't come from above leads to. Guys, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition can gain you a lot of followers in this life, a lot of worldly success, influence, and fame, and lead you to disorder, confusion, chaos, and every vile practice. This is serious business, guys. So what is James going to do? Let's look at verse 17. He says this, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. He's saying, wait, nobody wants that demonic way of life. Let me tell you about something that's far better. And now when we read this, how many of you want this from the beginning? Purity, peace, gentleness, Open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. How many of you want that kind of life? Yeah, of course. We all go, yeah, those sound great. I would love in my family, like four kids, right? 12 to 2. Like, it feels disordered and chaos some days. Maybe more than some days, right? But I don't have to walk in chaos. And in fact, the more I walk in chaos, the more I need to search my heart and go, why is it chaotic? What am I listening to? Am I listening to like the world's wisdom that says, if I don't get my kids in sports at this age, then they're going to end up being terrible people. They're going to end up being terrible people because of their hearts are wicked and deceitful. Apart from Jesus, they're going to end up in a terrible place. Not because you didn't get them in youth sports early enough, but we believe this lie of like, oh, if I don't help them now and get them in certain things now, then they're going to just end up in a terrible place. They're going to end up in a terrible place because they buy into the world's slick wisdom. Guys, we've got to watch out for this stuff. And we've got to say, hey, son, hey, daughter, there is a life of purity that's awesome. There's a life that's sincere, that's really good. There's a life where you can treat people impartially, and it's really good. And give them a better way. Give them a better way. There is a way of life that is wise, and it results in really good conduct. And there is a way that is unwise, that results in foolishness. And he says this wisdom from above. And we see this in James chapter 1, verse 17. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And that's a reference to God as creator, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So where does all this good stuff come from? From above, from our creator God. Like we can run to him for this kind of life. And what does it look like? It's pure. 
It's not half one foot in the world and one foot with God. It's pure. It's going after the Lord. It's peaceable. It's loving. Loving peace. It's bringing peace. It's gentle. It's not aggressive. Like aggressive in a like, way that leads something to just terrible places. This type of wisdom is open to reason. It's approachable. You're not arrogant. There's not selfish ambition. It's full of mercy. Wouldn't you love your life to be full of mercy? It's full of good fruits. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, says it this way. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. James is saying, you want that kind of good fruit in your life? Where's it going to come from? The wisdom from above, not from the wisdom this earthly. He says this kind of wisdom's impartial. It's without doubt. It's stable. Your de- loyalties aren't divided. And then he says it's sincere. It's not hypocritical. You don't say one thing and then your conduct looks different. So this is kind of my summary of it. The wisdom from above leads to a humble and consistent approach to life, not an arrogant, aggressive, and inconsistent one. So what's the result of this kind of wisdom? Where does it lead to? Verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness. Now, if you remember, James is not talking about righteousness in the way that Paul talks about it. Paul talks about it as this gift that we're receiving. But James is actually talking about a way of life that produces God-honoring results. So not just like this gift of righteousness that you're receiving, but because you've received this, now you're going to live a different way of life. So he says, there's a harvest of righteousness. There's growth that's going to happen in your life that's amazing. It's going to lead to incredible righteous works that honor the Lord. There's godly wisdom that is going to produce a life that pleases God. So how can you avoid a chaotic and wicked life? You could say it this way. A life that glorifies God practices wisdom given by God. You want to avoid chaos and confusion and every vile practice in this life. Practice wisdom that only comes from God. Because our God-honoring character is going to require God-given wisdom. So what do you do with a sermon like this? I'm going to give you two short words. Beg and dig. Beg and dig. You're like, I don't get it. In James chapter 1, verse 5, when he first addresses... Wisdom, James says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, all right, if you're looking for wisdom, maybe you've been following the wisdom of this world, what should you do if you're lacking wisdom? Let him ask God. And the idea there is you're coming back to him over and over and over, and you're begging God, I don't know how to live this life. I don't know how to be a great spouse. I don't need know how to be a great parent. I don't know how to chase after significance or lay my life down to find significance. I need your help. He goes, well, beg me for it. And here's the great promise. 
Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. If you go, I feel like my life is trending in the wrong direction. I don't have that kind of wisdom. What does he say and do? Ask for it. And what is the promise? He'll give it generously, graciously. And he's not going to sit there and go, oh, I can't believe you asked for wisdom today. He's going to be like, oh, I'm so thankful that you would humble yourself. Here's some wisdom from above. So beg God for it if you don't have it. And then dig. And what I mean by dig is you read and study his word. That's his wisdom. Like, you're not going to know God's wisdom without getting into his word. So you ask him for it. You beg him for it. And then you dig into the scriptures and say, God, I need your wisdom today. Give me wisdom. But this is what I would say. When you read the word, don't just read the word looking for yourself. We've said this before. We often read the Bible like we read a yearbook. When you got a yearbook in school, what's the first thing you did when you got it? You went to the back, into the index, and what did you look for? Your name to see how many times your picture was in the yearbook, right? And that's often how we read the Bible. I'm going to open up the Bible and I'm going to under, look for, what does this say about what I'm doing today? What does this say about my life? This Bible is not about you. This is about the Lord. Go into it saying, oh, God, what does this say about you? How can I get your wisdom? And then we get wisdom and we know how to practically put it into use in our lives. So, guys, beg and dig. And just imagine if Veritas Urbana became that kind of church. And there's a lot of you in here that are already doing that, and I love it. Imagine how attractive that would be to the world in a world of chaos and vile practices to see a bunch of people like, man, they're at peace. They're gentle. They're sincere. They're impartial. Like that's attractive to the world where we live our lives more influenced by God than people whose godliness is learned through influencers. We want to be a church where we live with God at the center of our lives and not ourselves. We want to be a church that's biblically founded people, not opinion-based people. Is that the kind of church you want to be? That's the kind of church I pray that we are. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. You're so good. You're so kind. Thanks for showing us how Satan wants to lie to us and tempt us. Father, I pray that we wouldn't be driven by fear of what life could become, but we would be driven centering our lives around you because you are everything. God, we can't do that without you. We need you desperately. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.